to order our legislative review committee both uh, Councilmember Hoffman and I are here we have the vice mayor in our audience today first item on our business is short-term rental pilot program discussion and Lily I understand that we have host compliance standing by to chat with us we do. Uh, we have Ulrich on the screen here. Good morning, Ulrich. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. No worries. Do we want to start with Ulrich? Yes. Please. Okay, Ulrich. Uh, All right. Floor is um, yeah. Do you want to maybe set the stage a little bit, or do you want me to just jump right into the materials or prepare it, or what would be the most uh, effective way to uh, communicate what we need to talk about today? So we're having a hard time understanding what you're saying. Um, okay. And this is our second meeting on this. We have limited time, so I would say let's just jump right in. All right. Can a you question, hear me better now? A question that we posed last week was whether host compliance works with towns that prohibit short-term rentals. We do. Um, so for the last year and a half, we've been doing that because we find a lot of California cities in particular have um, obviously very good policy reasons to do that. So for example, we work with the city of Monterey, we work with the city of Carmel, uh, we work with um, the city of West Hollywood, a bunch of other cities that have policies similar to what you guys have. Uh, so working with you would not be a problem. Um, and we understood last week that there's a th that we have to sign up with you for three years in order for you to undertake compliance. Why is it three years? Why don't we get to work with you a little bit and make sure that we're happy with what you offer before we make a three-year commitment? Sure. I mean, the reality is working with cities that ban short-term rentals is a lot more difficult than it is to work with cities that have more uh, lenient rules. Uh, because what happens when you have a city where there is a ban is that people go through great efforts to try to go underground. And I think if you guys have a lot of experience with that. I know you had contract with a company in the past to try to do this work. And I think through uh, two years and more like 40,000 or maybe $60,000 of, of fees, you were able to catch maybe one or two violators. Um, so I think you guys know this better than anyone, but the reality is it's just a lot more difficult to find them and get them into compliance. Uh, so what we have found is that we end up spending a lot more resources and in order to sort of justify the investment of getting a program up and running and successful, we do look for a little bit longer commitment, ideally, in order to make these programs work for both parties. And in terms of compliance, so do you go, do you just provide data of where people are out of compliance, or do you offer services to bring them into compliance? Yeah, we actually do uh, all of it. So let me show you what we do. Um, uh, the first one is not relevant for you because you obviously don't have a permitting system, but there are four things that I think might be relevant or like at least three things that are relevant. So address identification is a service where we scan the 50 largest websites every week in order to identify all the listings in the city's jurisdiction that are doing short-term rentals. Um, and the idea is to always have a up-to-date inventory of all the rentals in town uh, so you 
can make sure that people don't sort of like try to fly underneath the radar uh, or or sort of go dark on you. And does so your inventory? We also take screenshots oh. as part of that. So that's the first part. The second thing we do is we actually have a service we call compliance monitoring, where in addition to just finding the addresses, we also systematically send letters to the people who are in, infracting on the on the ban uh, using the city's letterhead uh, and form letters, obviously approved by the city. So it really runs on autopilot. So instead of you just getting the data and having to manually uh, figure out how to get these letters out, we can do that for you. Uh, and also follow up with people who don't respond to the initial letters. And so there's an entire sort of follow-up process built into it. And then finally, we have a hotline service uh, where we uh, are available 24-7 uh, to take complaints from citizens that are experiencing problems with short-term rentals. Uh, and not only uh, are we able to um, essentially uh, respond to the issues and like take down the complaint. What we can also do is we can ask the complainant for uh, substantiative evidence. Uh, so for example, if they have any photos or videos or audio recordings or screenshots that they would be willing to share with the city, uh, we can then uh, send them a text message or an email uh, and request that evidence. So it goes straight into the file that the code enforcement team has access to. And then instead of being in a he said, she said situation, uh, the code enforcement staff now actually has real evidence that they can use uh, for pursuing the case. Um, so that's, uh, that's another part of the solution that we have. So the 50 people that you monitor, does that include international websites? Because something Sausalito's encountering now is there are homes listed on international websites, but not Airbnb and VRBO. Yeah, I mean, so we, we do scan international websites as well, right? So the way we think about it is we want to make sure that we have the broadest possible coverage for uh, North America, which happens to also include a bunch of European websites. And so, for example, there's a lot of European websites that cater to Europeans traveling to California, and we will also include those in our scans every week. And if we send a let, if after you've sent the form letter um, telling operators they're out of compliance, we're on our own in terms of further enforcement. So I, I wouldn't say it's, it's on your own. So there's essentially three things we can do. One, we can send follow-up letters. So the typical cadence, for example, in Monterey is that first we send sort of like a somewhat friendly letter that says, hey, maybe you didn't know that there was a ban. Please stop doing what you're doing. And then after- Joe, call look it, at the truckie. Well, sorry, I'm showing a truckie example. I'm just using an example from Monterey and talking over it. but. What we're doing in Monterey, because it's a ban there, is then what we also do is we then send a follow-up letter. So three weeks after, you say, hey, we noticed that your listings are still up. Maybe you didn't get our first letter, but now we really mean business. And if you don't get this down in the next two weeks, like there's going to be all sorts of penalties and, and it's going to be a bad thing for you. And then finally, what we can do is we can even issue notices of violation and administrative citations. So for example, in the city of Denver, Colorado, which is a customer of us, last year we sent out 2,500 citations, um, which were essentially daily fines to people who weren't uh, following the rules. Uh, what we can also do is that if you ever have a situation that someone is taking you to court or you need additional essentially backup or an administrative hearing or anything like that, we can provide uh, essentially signed affidavits 
where I, as the principal of the company, swear to the validity and accuracy of my data uh, and essentially testify in a sworn testimony to the administrative hearing officer or a judge uh, so you have additional backup uh, if you ever need to take someone uh, that far down the path. So do you ever work directly with the platforms? So we don't work directly with them, meaning we're not affiliated with them in any way. We obviously are in a dialogue with them because they know what we're doing and we try to keep them honest. So for example, when there are rule infractions in other cities, we notify them on behalf of our clients. Uh, but I wouldn't say we are sort of like working with them. It's more like notifying them that there's something going on that they need to pay attention to. Questions? Um, Ulrich, how many slides do you have in, for your presentation today? So, I mean, like, I've just been jumping around, to be honest. Like, it, uh, we don't need to go through the slides. I'm trying to just sort of like maximize the, the, the output for, for your time, so answering the questions you have. And so if, if you think this is helpful, we can do that, or we can go back to the beginning and go through slides, whatever you prefer. I was just wondering how many slides you had and if you could, you know, quick, just really quickly go through them. Um, I think this conversation has been really helpful, but if we're going to go back and look at this tape as a resource going yeah. forward and refer people back, then it might be helpful to have the full presentation. The presentation sure. is part of our packet, right? No. We, oh. We'll make it, we'll put it up as late mail, though. Okay, because yeah. we have okay. their, I have in my packet a host compliance presentation. It was one that they gave to me in September. Okay. So I don't know, Ulrich, how this differs from the one that um, Kyle went um, over with me. These are the same slides. Okay. I was doing a little bit abbreviated version. I'm happy to do that. I'm also happy to not do that, whatever you prefer. Uh, how long do you think it would take you to go through them real quick? I can go through it in eight to 10 minutes if you want me to go really fast. Okay. Oh, thanks. Okay, 10 minutes. Do you want to? Up to you. I want to hear from the other person too. Okay, um, I think uh, I think it would be helpful for you to go through the whole thing. One thing I did want to ask, though, how much? Uh, what's the cost structure? Is that? Yeah. So, so the cost structure, and again, do you want me to do that now, or do you want me to do it as part of the presentation? Let's do that now. Make sure we get that out of the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the cost structure is very simple. Um, we essentially charge a monitoring fee. And the monitoring fee is directly correlated with the amount of short-term rental listings and units that we are monitoring. Um, and obviously, the reason for that is we wouldn't charge the city of Sausalito the same as like the city of San Diego that has like 16,000 rentals, right? Um, and also, the work is directly correlated with that. So the more rentals there are, the more work it takes to actually track them down and get into compliance. So is so that... That's fourteen thousand five forty nine for three years. If we don't have a program, no, per year. Per year. Oh, per, per year. year. I'm sorry. So I said I thought it said based on three year commitment. So okay, it's gotcha. forty five thousand for the three years commitment. Yeah, exactly. If you did a three year okay. commitment, it'd be about fourteen thousand dollars a year, um, and and that would include all of the services that we talked about. Uh, and that's based on one hundred and ninety two STRs. That's based on what we're seeing right now. And, and, and I can share you with you, the numbers have been going up quite dramatically. Um, so do you want me to go back and, and go through the presentation or would you prefer to just talk us up the slide? That's fine. Why don't you go back and start the presentation? Okay, let's do and that. Then... Okay, so um, just to give you a quick introduction to host compliance, so we are actually um, out of San Francisco. And I, until two months ago, lived in Tiburon and the whole reason why this company came about was because Tiburon was going through the same process as you've been going through. 
and I was serving on an ad hoc committee appointed by the Tiburon Town Council to come up with recommendations for how to regulate it. Um, as part of my research, it became very apparent that the cities neither had the data that they needed to make good decisions. They didn't actually know what was going on, so they couldn't regulate it properly. And once they put in place regulations, they had no way to enforce them because it was too costly to manually track down these rentals and get them into compliance. So um, fast forward three years, we now uh, work with 150 clients across North America. Uh, 50 of those are in California. So be very, very familiar with the California law and this particular sort of challenges in California. Uh, as mentioned, we do work with a lot of cities that are similar to Sausalito in terms of regulation. So for example, the city of Napa has a ban. Uh, I mentioned Monterey, I mentioned Carmel, West Hollywood. Pasadena to some degree and other cities uh, similar to Sausalito. Um, to give you just a little bit of background on the short-term rental market overall, um, globally the short-term rental market has been growing leaps and bounds. So from 2011 to 2017 there was an 800 percent increase in the number of listings out there uh, and this has been driven by not just Airbnb but a large number of platforms. So there's about 125 different websites out there that facilitate short-term rentals. As mentioned, we monitor the 50 largest of those on a, a weekly basis. And we believe that in the case of Sausalito, that would constitute about 99% of the market. And so very broad uh, uh, sort of monitoring capabilities. Um, in Sausalito, just to give you a sense of what's going on, despite your policy, um, the number of listings has actually gone up quite dramatically. So between 2017 and 2018, and there's been a 34% growth in listings. And I think that just speaks to the fact that sort of like whatever enforcement you're doing now probably isn't working as intended. Um, uh, to just give you a sense of what's actually happening here, like in Sausalito right now, as of September, again, 187 listings representing 153 unique rental units spread all over town, as you can see, obviously mostly downtown, uh, but also up in the hillside uh, and, and pretty much anywhere where there's residential community, uh, there are short-term rentals right now. Uh, the median nightly rate for these properties is at $245. Um, also importantly, 87% of the rentals that are advertised right now are entire home rentals. So entire home rentals are rentals where as a host, you get access to the entire unit for the duration of your stay. So that means the host is not actually uh, physically present during the stay, which means that these are the properties that, that have the highest propensity to potentially displace long-term renters. They also, the properties that have the highest propensity to create nuisances for the neighbors because there's no one on site to sort of shut down the party when it starts. Um, in terms of the types of properties that are rented, uh, about 60% are single family homes, about 35% are multifamily homes, and then there's 7% where we can't tell it could be duplexes or uh, other properties like that. Uh, talked a little bit about our services already, but again, I think the ones that are relevant for you are the address identification service where we scan all the websites, take screenshots of every single listing. I'll just show you an example of what that looks like. So what you can see here is that for every property and listing in the city, 
you will have a full record that shows everything that's available online and everything that we have been able to uh, match it to uh, in the physical world. Uh, this includes screenshots, obviously, as, uh, as I showed here. Can I so ask example, you a question? Yeah, of course. So a lot of the listings say 30-month minimum. So it's not obvious from the listing that it's a short-term rental. Yeah. So the thing is, is that thirty-day minimum. Yeah. The thirty. I get it. Yeah. The, the thing is, there are actually different places where you can look at the minimum stay. So there's one place where, as you point out, a lot of people put it to say thirty-day minimum, but then there's actually in the metadata in the calendar, essentially an override that says what it's truly is available. So people are playing games with that all the time. And because we are doing this full time, we know how to circumvent those games uh, to the best of our ability. So for example, if people put a 30-day minimum sort of like as the headline number, but in the background say, by the way, it's available on a weekly or weekend basis, by looking at the calendars, we will catch that anyway and, and flag them for you as being non-compliant. Um, does that answer your question? Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about the address identification service. The next one is the compliance monitoring, which is that service where we send the letters. I think you got that. The third thing we didn't talk so much about is we also have a rental activity monitoring uh, system where in addition to finding the addresses, we can also provide estimates of how many nights a property is being rented out. Um, and obviously that can be helpful for a number of reasons from an enforcement perspective it allows your code enforcement staff to really focus their efforts on the most egregious violators of the ban. So instead of sort of like randomly selecting people to, um, to sort of like go after, they can focus on the ones that are renting all the time and seem to be uh, sort of like in great disregard of your policy. And it can also be very helpful for um, helping you uh, pursue cases after the fact because now you have additional details to essentially prove that there was rental activity uh, as opposed to just looking at the listing and the fact that the listing was posted online. So that's the third service. And then we talked about the hotline as well. So that was just the, the quick overview. We talked a little bit about the pricing here. Um, just to put in perspective, I think when the city was contracting with a, a code enforcement resource, they spent like probably five times as much money on that program as what we are asking for here. Um, and I think there was very little results to show for it. And if you ask Lamont, who was the code enforcement guy on the ground, he will say that it was probably be a lot smarter to just hire us to do it and then hire him again. And I'm happy to put you in touch with Lamont if you want to talk to him. Um, so that was a little bit of, uh, of, of the overview. The data that you will get from us is delivered through a online software platform. So it's completely based in the cloud, it's available 24 seven and be accessed from anywhere as long as there's an internet connection, uh, obviously password protected. It will give you a quick overview of what's happening in the city. Uh, so you can essentially get a snapshot of what's happening at any given time. Uh, we also have the detailed records as we talked about uh, where you can look up exactly what's going on, what letters we send to what properties and so forth. Um, you will also be able to download all this into uh, Excel if you need to. So if you want to need it for other purposes, you can uh, easily export the data and you can do that 24 seven. Um, 
the letters we talked a little bit about, but again, we customize them specifically to the city's requirements. So they will say whatever you want them to say, they will look whatever way you want them to look like. And importantly, we can include the evidence such as the screenshots in those letters, which dramatically improve response rate and compliance. Uh, so for example, we did a bunch of testing. So if you send these letters without the screenshot, you'll get about 25% response rate. If you include the screenshot, you get about 86% response rate. And um, so it has a huge impact. Um, so that's a little bit about our system. Um, any other questions or um, is this pretty self-explanatory? I, I think that's a great presentation. Thanks so much for going through that quickly for us. I have a question about um, if we did have a program, you know, a, a minor program, um, how much, what's the, what's the cost on that? Uh, Does it still sorry, depend on the number of units? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the reality. I mean, like the pricing we propose is based on monitoring the city, like monitoring a smaller area probably doesn't make a lot of sense uh, if that's what you're asking for. No, so if we decided, so it was, I think 15,000 a year with a three-year commitment if we did not have a program. But if we did have a program, a very small pilot program, what would be the cost on that? Would it be the same? Yeah, I'm not quite sure I understand the difference between, I think a $15,000 program is pretty small, like like biggest contract is seven. No, 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 no. What we're saying is right now we prohibit short-term rentals. If yeah. we did a pilot program where we permitted a limited number of short-term rentals, yeah. then we would not require a three-year commitment, and what would the cost per year be? Oh, okay, got it. So if you wanted to do like a one-year uh, commitment, essentially, instead of a three-year, is that what Well, we're thinking? looking at a six-month pilot program. Okay, a six-month pilot program. I mean, again, like all the setup costs is the same, right? So I don't know if the price would be that dramatically different. Okay. All right, thanks. Yeah. Would there still be the three-year commitment? I mean, obviously, if, if you want to do a pilot, you can do a pilot. Uh, well, let me, so let me ask it this way. So um, what we would like before we take it to the city council is um, a cost, you know, a cost estimate for both. So, um, so we understand that it's a three-year commitment with about 15000 a year if we don't have a program for monitoring and compliance. But what would be the cost in the setup if we decided to have some sort of pilot program um, at six months or a year, whatever, whatever it is we decide, but that's part of our calculus, I think, on uh, evaluating what, how we're going to move forward on this. So you may not, I understand you may not have the answer right now, but if, if you could think about that and then provide us with Sure, with I, I still don't understand the context. Are you talking about you, you're looking at maybe relaxing the rules for a pilot period and then using our software to enforce this less restrictive policy? Is that yes. the question? Yep. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it would be about the same cost. I mean, it, it just okay. costs money to set up the system. Uh, so I, I don't think it really changes anything that much. So let me ask you this then a different way. If you, when you, um, you're approached by towns that already have a program that they're not, they're not particularly well at managing. Yeah. What, in, in a town of our size, about 192 units, what's the proposal or the estimate for them? It's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Is there still a three-year commitment? 
we only do the three-year commitment when there is a ban uh, okay. because that's where we find that we just spend three times as much time tracking down each property okay uh, and that's why we normally ask for that but again if, if that's become a big problem we can probably figure out how to work that out i mean we obviously not looking at the like duping you into doing something you don't want to do what we're looking for is a partnership right if we're going to invest a lot of resources in making your program successful we want some kind of assurance that you're going to look at us as a long-term partner that is going to help you and uh, not just for six months but hopefully longer because that makes it worthwhile to us and worthwhile to you okay i think that answered my question do you yeah okay okay thanks great thank you ulrich okay great thanks so much okay are you um, available um on october 9th no, not on October 9th. I think we had talked about October 30th. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Great. We appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Thank okay. you. Joe, do, do you I need to be on standby for other questions, questions or no? He's a member of the public. He can't ask a question. He's a council member. So okay. Because you're a standing committee. Okay. Not the discussion. Just, okay. Do you want me to stay online here, or should I? No, I think off? we're all no. set. Thank you, all. Thank right. you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Are we going to talk to the other ones? Lily, have you done the research on the other organization? Are they similar to Host Compliance? I have not done the research on them, but they did reach out to me uh, a week ago, asking if we were interested, and so we set it up a call for 10 a.m. They. They um, do provide registration, reporting, and enforcement. Okay, so 10 o'clock. If, okay, if, so if you'd like. We'll talk about yeah. other things and then go back sure. to that. Okay. Um, Mary, I'm looking at this staff report. I'm not seeing where we've added our direction from last week. So if you look on page two of the report for today, mm -hmm. we listed the issues that you had discussed. Um, we would like some feedback on whether this is recommendations from the committee or if they're just things you would like the council to discuss, including uh, the reporting directly from short-term rental platforms or requiring property owners to have the platforms reported to the city, um, Marin County requirements requiring the posting of signs on STRs and or providing written notice within 300 feet, um, the STR be the person renting out the unit's primary residence and or having a site manager located in Sausalito available 24 hours a day. And then we also discussed the zones um, yeah. similar to the ADUs with parking. So I, I would like a new staff report for the council that presents the short-term rental pilot program that was initially prepared by the... Um, committee and then notations that you know additional um, components of a program that could be considered by the council include blah 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 and let them know what the county has done so I just gave a couple of examples of what the county has done but I'd like the council to be fully apprised of what the county has done um, and what the city has done and what's not on here and maybe it's already in the um, 
I think it might already be in the pilot program, is the fact that ADUs would be ineligible to be uh, short-term rentals because we don't want to lose the housing stock from our housing element. Okay, yeah, that was our plan, was to identify these as additional consideration items then? Yeah. And um, we would attach the Marin County program? Yeah, so, well, but I don't want to just attach the program. I want to... And describe the, the I want issues, the yes. Yeah. The I was envisioning bringing that list in that when the prior staff report for your prior legislative committee where we identified the enhancements that were made with the Marin County ordinance. Exactly. And then right now... Um, the pilot program says ADUs are treated like any other dwelling unit and can also qualify to apply for an STR permit. I, I would like this committee to recommend that be changed because I don't want to lose. Okay, so it is a recommendation. I We also provided as late mail some preliminary research on other cities that have a cap on their short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So uh, give you an example from Napa, Santa Cruz, St. Helena, Morro Bay, and Pacific Grove for your consideration. Yeah, I definitely think we should um, ask the council if the council wants to impose a cap. Is the, is the cap... Um, <clears throat> Is the cap related to anything in those, or is that just like a random number that they came up with? Like, is it percentage of overall housing stock or something? In some cases, it is. So for, for Pacific Grove, they have a cap that is 3% of their total number of dwelling units. Okay, okay. In some other cases, it seems as though it was random. And in, in some other cases, there was a complicated mathematical equation um, involved. What's the, um, what's our total, what's our, if we do 100, if we do 200, let's round it up to 200, I mean, we're 192 illegal rentals now. Mm -hmm. If we round it up to 200, what would that be, what percentage would that be of our housing stock? So I don't have the total in my head right now, but it's around 4,500 is what I recall, our housing. So stock. 200 would be, what, 10%? No, 5% of total. I'm just, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just, I was just wondering what our total. So that would be good if you could include mm -hmm. our total housing stock in the staff report. Anything else we want to discuss on this? The pilot program, uh, Lily, you do have um, notes about the revenue that would be generated, and obviously it's that revenue that would offset the um, expense of host compliance. Correct, and I just did some preliminary figures given, I, gave, I think I gave a 90-day max example and a 180-day max example, and then um, those numbers compared with the 12% TOT and compa compared with the 14% TOT, but we can run additional numbers if you think it's helpful for the council and the staff report, if you give us that direction. I don't think this decision rises and falls on numbers. I think um, 
it's a policy decision, but I, I think the numbers are useful to understand the um, amount by which a home's value will increase as a result of its revenue production capability. So I think the numbers are important. I agree. I think I, I don't know if you need to include them in the staff report, but I think you should be ready with them as part of the discussion at the city council. I don't know. Do you I want think to it should be in the staff report. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. No objection. The numbers that were provided in the original legislative committee staff report. There's that table. I, I'm looking giving at four something scenarios. on page five of the September 24 staff report. Two scenarios right. for revenue projections for short-term rentals in Sausalito. Yep. So I mean, we, I think this staff report is very well done. I just want to add, I want to weave the staff reports together. Understood. And I would love a bulleted list of options. So you kind of have that on the pilot program uh, outline that is it that immediately follows the staff report has like bullet points under objectives under program outline and objectives so what i'd like to see is take this and add all of our menu of options so that like on two pages the city council has a checklist it can say yes let's do this no let's not do this yes do this let's not do that so like a menu of options yeah. easy checklist because it's a complicated program and I want to be sure we consider all of the options. And I like the way this is outlined into administration and you know enforcement. This outline is well done. Um, so quick question on that. Would, so would you like us to weave in, to take this, identify it as part of the program recommended by the Short-Term Rental Task Force, then Marin County, pro weave in the mm -hmm. other objectives so you know where they came from? Yes, yeah, so I and think- And then recommendations from the committee as well? I think this should remain as is. Mm -hmm. This is what the short-term, I want you to create a new document yeah. that is a menu of options. Oh, yeah. So I don't wanna refer where they all came from just because you've already done that elsewhere in the staff report. You're including the Marin County program, you're including the short-term rental pilot program. I just want as a decision matrix, a menu of options of everything for the city council to consider. And then Madam Mayor, um, are we sticking with the original schedule of going on the 9th with the inner, the discussion item in front of the council direction, returning with um, a draft ordinance potentially on the 30th, having host compliance attend on the 30th, and then moving through the planning commission and back to the council? Yes. Is there, even though Ulrich's not available, um, on the, the 9th, October 9th, which is our, not this ne next meeting, but the meeting after that. I wish there was some It's, a, it's a week from today. A week from today is October 9th. Oh, sorry. I <laughs> forgot we were in October. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish there was some way that we could get that presentation, you know, 
as part of the discussion on the ninth and civil I think Lily can walk us through it. Yeah. And Ulrich is, is just not available to be in person. He's available to do exactly what he did today. Oh, oh just have him do that. Perfect. He's, he he's just in Southern California. He doesn't yeah. need to be here in person okay. on either day. Yeah. Okay. If he can walk us through, this was very good. This yeah, perfect. We were able to interact with him, hear mm -hmm. him. I hope the public could see him also. Is that the way it was? Is it looking online on this tape that it was focused on him and the slides and yep. stuff? Okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah, let's have him make that presentation. But we, let's see what the people at 10 o'clock have to say okay. so we decide yeah, whether sure. we want to hear from them as well. We can link to this meeting as well so that the people can review that in advance. In the staff report, we can provide that link. That's good. Good. And let's please get his presentation from today and upload that because it showed the growth. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that was really interesting from my perspective to see the, you know, how this has evolved over the past two years. Um, and so that the public also can see it beforehand and submit questions or appear here in person if they have questions for Ulrich. I think that's, that'd be great. And, and I would suggest we just upload, uh, just include that PowerPoint and not the other two, unless you think they're necessary. Yes. Not necessary to include. It gets too confusing yeah. which one you're looking at. Let's not include the slides that are in our packet today. Right. And only include the updated slides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. I don't, yeah, I don't see a need for the old ones. Our packet doesn't have all of the mail that I've received. Um, it doesn't have Tom Theodore's letter. Um, Okay, so I'll go through and forward everything I've received. That would I, be great. The I only ones he sent that to Adam. So the um, only ones we've gotten or I've gotten um, are were included in the packet. But okay. we can uh, make sure that we, if you could, yeah. send us what you have, and we'll coordinate with Adam as well to make sure we get everything in there. Great. Okay. Thank you. This is very helpful. I think this is teed up for a decision. Um. Madam Mayor, would you like to discuss either um, short-term, I mean, excuse me, uh, ADUs, including junior ADUs or inclusionary housing? Um, those are the other two items on your agenda while we wait for the 10 o'clock yes, call. Yes, let's do that. Now, are we going to hear marijuana again? That's coming to the council on the 9th. It's just coming. It's, yep. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, do you care inclusionary or ADUs? Let's do ADUs and get that. Okay. That's important. So at your last legislative committee meeting, we um, briefly discussed the potential modifications to the ADU ordinance that you had in your packet. I've included that as well. You also had the um, Word version sent to you. It was somewhat easier to view it as a Word document, not as a PDF. Uh, you also asked that we bring forward a junior ADU program as required in our housing element. You have the language from the housing element actually in your report for today. Um, and then uh, suggested that we look at the junior ADU program um, from San Rafael. San Rafael. So that was included in your packet as well. Um, and I think the, you know, this is an opportunity for discussion of how to weave that into the other provisions that uh, you've seen a couple times now um, and bring it forward as a, a joint uh, amendment instead of two separate amendments, if that's mm -hmm. what the council desires. So, Mary, if, are you prepared to bring a proposed revised ordinance to the council on the 9th? Uh, no, uh, we're not. We would so need to um, 
actually, if we're bringing it to the council first for discussion, um, I mean, potentially we could do that. It's not on the agenda right now, and it might push you over the edge in terms of how much you have on that council agenda. Uh, you know, and then the direction would be to return to the You're right. Planning. It's not on the 9th. It's not on the 9th. I, I'm not even sure it's on the 30th, but we can uh, look into that. I, I did tell Adam yesterday it needed to be on one of those days. Mm -hmm. So, because we need to get this done. So, I can't think that there's going to be a lot of controversy about that. I mean, wait, no, what am I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Our um, 9th and 30th calendars are already quite full because we're trying to get a lot done before the end of the year. So, but I think it's important. Um, so, the housing element already requires that we adopt a junior ADU program. So I'm wondering if we bring a draft ordinance to the council or if we just bring a discussion item. I don't think it, you need to waste time with a discussion item. I mean, this is my perspective. I think just, I think just bring it. I mean, and you can, we can say at the end of the next meeting or whatever meeting, we're gonna be bringing this on for. The thing is, yes. it still has to go to the planning commission. So let's plan yeah, to well. bring a draft ordinance on the 30th and let's have it just follow a parallel track with uh, the short-term rentals. If the council wants to proceed with short-term rentals, you know, let's send both to the planning commission and then bring both back to the council. Yeah, we did look at that schedule. Um, I think the planning commission meets on the 7th of November and then the they don't have another meeting, I don't believe, because it would have been the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. The only, sorry, I know I'm interrupting, but the only issue would be, to me, they're mutually exclusive, right? Short-term rentals. They are mutual. Well, so they're, they're not only, totally mutually exclusive because ADUs, the short, the ADU policy says it's not eligible to be a short-term rental. Right. So I just, I would just want to avoid any confusion from the public thinking that we're now allowing all these ADUs that are going to turn into short-term rentals. <laughs> but right. I think we've been pretty clear that those are off the table. So I don't know. I mean, that's the only caution I would say otherwise. So if we get, get to, if you bring a draft ordinance on the 30th to the council and the council says proceed, then you take, you can already, you have two days to queue it up for the planning commission. Yeah, we have to kind of preemptively notice it. it requires yeah. 10 days notice, so yeah. we you know, no notice it if there's an opportunity for the meeting on the 7th, and then we can bring it back to the council for your... December. You have a meeting on the 27th of November, oh. and then also on December 11th, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So there were some discussion items in the ADU revisions that we needed. We were seeking some input from um, this committee on. Shoot. And then also, uh, if there's any direction on a junior ADU program, that would be helpful too. Can I just add one, one thing? Um, is there any reason not to do the ADU on the 9th? Is because if we're on this accelerated, or it's too short because then we can't, but then we you be able to get it to the planning commission so the only so. reason not to do ADUs on the 9th is that we're already going to go. We are doing short-term rentals, and we have a challenging... You also have marijuana on that agenda? Yeah. Um, we have on, the I'm general gonna... plan update. Oh, yeah, the general plan consideration of the Marin ship. Uh, 
So that's, it's just a full um, okay. calendar. And there, there is, there are some real policy questions. I think we're looking for some direction we need from this committee that we would then need to amend or make modifications to the ordinance that you have in front of you. So I think it would be helpful to get that direction today, revise that uh, document, and then bring it back. Um, you know, the the council doesn't necessarily need to direct it to the planning commission. We could just bring the ordinance to the planning commission and back up to the council. If you want to make that announcement at, as a legislative committee. You know, announcement. I it's, don't, it's up to you. I want to include the council in our decision making process. I don't want the legislative committee to just send it to the planning commission. And just to be clear, you know, I'm not suggesting that you're circumventing the council, but we have brought ordinances for zoning ordinance changes forward before that you know were directed by came from staff to the planning commission, then back up. But we'll certainly respect that process and bring it first to the council and then down to the planning commission. If it was just the ADU, I would totally agree. But because the council has not yet even discussed junior ADUs, for me, they're a no-brainer, but I want to make sure the rest of the council agrees. So I don't want to make that assumption. So on the 9th, we are hearing the general plan update. That's scheduled for 90 minutes. The short-term rental pilot program scheduled for an hour, but I would imagine it's going to take longer. Uh, marijuana update scheduled for 30 minutes um i mean we could do adus i mean i don't know that we're going to be ready depending oh. on the direction we get from you today on the open questions okay because that report needs to be done by noon tomorrow and okay. there's a few other things well let's walk through what you're to. asking for direction yeah i'll turn that over to lily so i'm looking at the uh, report from september 24th on the second yes. page under yep. discussion points so the first discussion point is the floor area regulations. So we've identified uh, some inconsistencies with regard to floor area uh, that I think occurred during the last revision to the ADU ordinance in 2017. So section A indicates that the ADU needs to conform with the floor area ratio of the parcel itself. And then B indicates that the ADU needs to conform with the floor area ratio limits for the primary dwelling unit. So I thought it was for the parcel. What do you remember, Lily, from the um, housing element? I thought it was parcel. Yeah, it's page two of the September 24 staff report. So I think our preference from planning is for the ADU to count as a single unit and not be included in that primary unit floor right. area ratio. So it's the overall parcel. It's the overall parcel. Yeah. That I agree with that. Right. Next is the. And didn't we? I think we gave them a mulligan uh, for an ADU so that they had a 75 foot. There are 75 square foot um, mulligan if they if you're adding an ADU and you're exceeding the FAR for the parcel. So let's go back and confirm. It's either coverage or FAR, I don't remember. Michael Rex reminded me of that a couple of weeks ago and that I had called it a mulligan during our writing of the initial policy. 
So the next one, if we're ready to move on, yes. is the height of the ADU and the revisions that occurred in 2017 responding to the new uh, state legislation. We added a provision to allow ADUs over garages because that's typical con condition in non-hillside communities. But we have situations in Sausalito where you can add an ADU under our garage. And so we were thinking it would be good to put a height limitation for that type of scenario. We haven't given you an, a recommendation for a height. We've just laid this out as a as a issue. Well, right the now. other issue of building under a garage, first of all, there's the issue of a garage not counting towards the FAR or the, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and right. second, there's the issue of the subterranean component being only counted as 50%. Right. So I think we have to be careful about the potential massing of an ADU built under a garage given those, um, given those allowances within our existing code. Mm -hmm. And, you're, and this, this is addressing an ADU under a garage on the downhill slope. Correct, because the, the height limitation that. right now is 15 feet, and there are situations where if the ADU was put under the garage because of the way that we calculate height using average natural grade, that potentially a property owner would not be able to put their ADU under a garage, which are arguably could have less impact on the neighborhood because of that 15-foot height limit. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, somebody could build an ADU, a wholesale ADU, into a hillside under a garage if there were no height limit, and all of a sudden the hillside is covered up. Mm -hmm. So this is something I think belongs with the CUP. I don't think the, I don't think going, I think the 15 foot um, constraint is appropriate. And then if someone wants to build under a garage, it just ha is a CUP instead of ministerial. Okay. I don't think it should be prohibited, but I think it's something that has to be examined on a case by case basis. And, and with part of the total FAR and all of that. Right. I I think that's fine, okay. appropriate. That would be my recommendation to present to the council. The, the whole point is that we've identified parameters that are easily ministerial and that we perceive will have minimal impacts. To take away those parameters, but there's still always um, an escape valve for our pre-established parameters, and that is a CUP. So it's just not ministerial. And but it doesn't mean that they can't do it. Right. There's nothing right now that prohibits an ADU underneath a downhill sloping Correct. Garage. Okay. Does that make sense, Lily? It does. Okay. Thank you. So the next issue is with, is with regards to the design of the ADU, and I'm just trying to get to that section in the code real quick. Well, I do think this matters if it's attached or detached. So right now the code says that an ADU shall have a roof slope, a window arrangement, siding materials, colors, and architectural style compatible with the primary dwelling unit. 
and the concern was that the standard is difficult to ob objectively evaluate as it's written. So we're <coughs> suggesting potentially modifying the word compatible to say potentially mimics or replicates. I would replicates. say replicates or closely resembles. That's fine. And is that for both attached and detached units? I think so. Yeah. Again, this is the ministerial aspect. If somebody wants a different design, they have the option to do a CUP. So none of these decisions are precluding anything. They're just, do you want a ministerial approval or are you willing to go through a CUP process? Moving on to the most fun one. <laughs> I think you're right, we assign a percentage. So view impacts of ADUs. Mm -hmm. our, co our ordinance, this is something the Blue Ribbon Committee is working on, by the way, with Michael Rex. But um, until that work is done for, for as a placeholder, um, our, or our code already says that no one is uh, entitled to a panoramic view. Right. And that, um, in evaluating design review, we look to make sure that existing views are not eliminated. So I think we assign a percentage. And so if, if I have a view of Angel Island, you know, I think it should not be reduced by more than 30%. That would be my, what do you think? I think, uh, I think that when we're talking about when you're talking about ADUs, and and this is junior, we're now talking about junior ADUs. No, this right? is just our this ADUs. ADUs. The thought is that you're using existing space, or you're creating something with very little minimal impact on the neighborhood to create housing, right? So, but you could be building another unit be. on an existing parcel. Yeah. Junior ADUs are within existing space. Within an existing space. But a regular ADU can be up to 1,000 square feet, and it's be, uh, by state regulations. We had it at 750, but state regulations require us to make it 1,000. So what, um, what's, the current, what's the current view impact standard? Is there, is there one? Right now it says that the ADU shall not block or obstruct primary views. I would be reluctant to assign a percentage. Um, and so yeah, essentially like, right now it's written that it shall have no view impact. What we had said again is that if there's a view impact, it goes to a CUP. So it, this is, you know, ministerial is a privilege and it's for a low impact ADU. I would, yeah, so I would, the view impact, I would say, if there's a if there's a challenge to view, I would say it goes to CUP. Because the even with the ministerial, the noticing still goes out, right, Lily? It doesn't. No, I don't think so. Well, that's the challenge. So then I think it has to be no view impact. Because the because uh, right. neighbors have for no ministerial right for ministerial because yeah. neighbors have no ability to weigh in. Not, not to say, right, and then, then you start hashing it out. If, if the, but with a CUP, the neighbor has an opportunity to weigh in. Yeah, right. Neighbors are not given notice of 
even if I'm going to build a thousand square foot structure on my property, my neighbors are not given any notice if I go through the ministerial review. So a thousand mm -hmm. square foot building definitely has a huge potential to impact views as well as light and shadows. And so I think for views, it has to be no view impact. Otherwise, there's a CUP. To me, and to me, that balances the the need for more housing versus impact on your neighbor, right? If there's no view impact and there's no other appreciable impact. And again, these are our recommendations, but it's going to come to the council. Yeah. yeah. So the the um, the determination on the no view impact is made by staff at the counter. Yeah. So, and through a site visit, if it's yeah, warranted. But then when the polls go up and the neighbors go, hmm? There's no so There wouldn't be any polls. No yes. Yeah, so if, so if staff determines that there's okay. there's no potential to impact a view, then the, the permit is approved. So we have to make sure that staff are trained, Lily, because we just heard an appeal that you're well familiar with where staff made this determination that I believe was absolutely not founded, not well founded. And so... We have to make sure our staff are trained to make this determination. Yeah. Yes, agree. <laughs> Otherwise, the first it, notice that a neighbor has is when the framing goes up. And now, we, and we have since then been on some zoning permits where there, it's, it's, you know, we can't tell. We have been requiring some story pole type items yeah. to go up for us to make that decision. Perfect. So. So we should include that in our ordinance that, you know, if necessary, staff can request additional yeah. um, additional information from applicant necessary to evaluate whether there's a view impact. And the same with mm -hmm. light and shadow, I think. Do you want to move on to the light and shadows? Yes. So we we did rework this section. We kept it mainly intact to require the light and shadow survey, but we did just uh, make it a little bit more objective rather than yes. subjective. So we just wanted you to review that language. So that's in uh, E12. That's on. Is it 13? Is it in the draft ordinance though? Is it 13? It's yeah. yes, it okay. is. Should be 13. thirteen. It is thirteen. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong page. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong page. So it says an ADU shall be designed that such that the incremental light shadow impact created by the ADU does not impact more than twenty five percent of an adjacent parcel more than thirty days per year. More than how much? Thirty days per year. No, how much percent? Oh, twenty five percent. Twenty five percent is a lot. If there is a potential for adverse light shadow impacts as determined by staff, a shadow study may be required to determine that the light shadow impacts do not increase the above standard, exceed the above standard. Lily, do you remember how we came up with 25%? I don't. <laughs> But that's in our existing ordinance? It is. All right. Well, I'm not going to mess with that. I think the language you read is fine. Mm -hmm. It's fine. 
And then the last discussion point is if That's we... That's an emphatic yes. Great. Got it. Of the owner occupancy. Great. Yes. And, and you Council already have Hoffman. that in the red lines. I saw that in the red lines already. Deny, Mary? So the last one, just for the record, is the um, if we should add a provision about renting less than 30 days. And I don't know if we... I think we added it as a comment... But we don't think we added it yet, but we, we can. All right. Now, how would you weave in the um, junior ADUs? Oh, wait. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So where's the, where's the language on the owner occupancy and the provision about less than 30 it's days. Not in there. It oh, it's not in there. Comment. It was a comment on our last redlined version. So are we going to include that? We're going to include okay. it. And it, but there's no draft language yet? No, not yet. Okay. Great, thanks. Uh, so I was thinking that we would add the junior ADU as a, a new type of ADU under definitions. Mm -hmm. And then uh, similar to the uh, attached, detached, and interior ADUs give them separate permit standards under um, under E. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think junior ADUs are much simpler because they are within an existing unit. Mm -hmm. And you do have the San Rafael program. I really like the San Rafael. I like both report. the um, I like both the flyer that sits at the counter and the ordinance. That's the second page of our. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the flyer, and then right before that is the ordinance. Um, I don't see the prohibition on short-term rentals, so I'd want to add that. We will. Yeah, and I, I, if I heard correctly, we want that to apply to all ADUs. Mm -hmm. Correct. So we'll probably make that an overarching definition. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about ADUs? Nope. Any other feedback you need from us on ADUs? That all was right. it. Thank you. So, yeah, assuming all the other red line changes are acceptable to the committee, we can move forward with that as the suggested ordinance with the changes you discussed today. Great. And when would you bring that to the council? The 30th. The 30th, yeah. Okay. Okay. We have a choice of either talking to the other short-term rental or looking at inclusionary. I'd like to look at inclusionary and have staff interview the other short-term rental agency uh -huh. and provide us a report. Lily, is that acceptable to you? We can do that. Would okay. you like them to, me to see if they're available also on October 9th to present to the council if, if they're at the same level uh, as this complaint? I would have to see if they're available for telephonic standby because I don't know what they're going to say today to you. So have them available on telephonic standby and then we'll talk to either one or the other or if they can yeah and if they can provide any kind of information or slides or estimate 
similar to what we had from host compliance, that'd be great. Got it. Did you want to turn to inclusionary with the remaining 12 yes. minutes? Yep. <laughs> so um, the council uh, discussed this briefly as a, a future agenda item at your last council meeting and directed it to the legislative committee for consideration. And as you identified earlier, it is identified as a uh, program in the uh, housing element. So we included that language in the staff report for today, as well as attaching Mill Valley's uh, program, which includes both elements identified in our general plan for consideration, the inclusionary fee uh, and inclusionary units themselves. The trigger in the Mill Valley, and I think in most um, jurisdictions, is if you have four or more units, there's a, a unit has to be um, affordable, 25% uh, of the total number of proposed units for four and above um, have to be affordable. Anything less than that provides an in-lieu fee, which is then utilized by the city uh, for the provision of affordable housing. So, you know, this is the first time we've, we've brought this forward for consideration, um, but it is something identified in our housing element and something that we wanted to start discussion on with you. Where is that, that report in the staff report? At the very end of the packet that you have, last so, 10 pages yes. maybe right behind the ordinance that you were looking at for ADUs. Yeah, it's just a little bit further. There you go. So um, something that's unclear to a lot of people is what affordable means, Mary. Yeah, so affordable is very clearly defined by the state of California. Um, the HCD provides those definitions and it's based on median income for a particular jurisdictions. So they look at, uh, you know, Marin County has its own numbers and then there are above uh, moderate units, moderate units, low and very low housing units and it's based on a, a percentage and you know, we can certainly provide you with those numbers they're easily found well and it's in the draft so first of all the, the staff report isn't doesn't have page numbers so it's really hard to work with so if we just include page numbers it lets me it's easier for me to tell you what I'm looking at under section B and C of the um, definitions that you provided from Mill Valley it does define what affordable households mean and what affordability is. But I think in our staff report for council, it would be useful if we gave a couple of examples to say, thus, if a family of four has an income of blank, you know, affordable would mean blank. Sure. So that people considering what this, what impact this would have on their development understand in concrete terms what that is. And I think, Lily did that for the um, for the housing element committee <laughs> years ago. Lily mm -hmm. um, gave us a couple of examples. It just because affordable is not um, too draconian. 
it's not that big an imposition on developers and I want to make that clear okay. or home builders What's the requirement now in Sausalito for, if you have more than four units, five units, six units? We don't have an affordability, we don't have an affordable housing inclusionary ordinance. We have a density bonus ordinance, which exactly. is which we discussed as the last round of implementing programs. We amended the density bonus uh, law, which is something that a developer can request if they want to build above the allowed number of units. They can request additional units, but they have to meet the criteria of the density bonus law. This would be, uh, instead of optional, an inclusionary ordinance is mandatory. But, I, okay, I need to go back and talk to whoever, but I know that there are certain builders in town who have come to me complaining about we want to redo something and we want to do three units and one of them has to be or four units and one of them has to be so we're only going to do two units so we don't have to do so that. John, so that's, that's a different um, provision. Okay, so that's, I mean, we need to have that included in this sure. to look at so that we have the full picture about what our current laws are. So that was an issue with two different developments on Bridgeway downtown. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the VMU. That's, that's the VMU, the yeah. above um, it's the VMU. commercial. Your the, favorite program. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Housing above commercial. So when we when this comes to city council or it comes back to us, if you could include all of the requirements, whatever they're called, and under whatever program there are, sure. um, to you know, for affordability, like that would make it easier. I think. Yeah, there's yeah, there's provisions there's in the provisions, ADU yeah. program, and I think there's also provisions um, for condo conversions above a certain amount okay. that some of the units, yeah. so we can include that information. Yeah, I mean, we have to have the full picture, and you know sure. we're going to digress into that anyway, so it would be better to have the information rather than, you know. I agree. So let's talk about our VMU, let's talk about our density bonus, and then let's wrap in the inclusionary housing into that. This the inclusionary housing is different because it's just regular housing mm -hmm. and right now we don't have many sites that are even eligible for this policy we have one that's under consideration now mm -hmm. um, but if we change if we make any other zoning changes as part of the general plan update there may be others and so I think this is a timely policy plus we were required to do it in the first four years of our housing element which we're getting there I think it would be helpful for us to bring this back to you with all that information, you know, on the, the, what the VMU requires, what the density bonus requires, if that's acceptable to you. If not, we can certainly you know, go back up to council, but I think it would be useful to get this group's input on all those programs and how they work together. I want to bring this to the council this year. So, And you're, you're the Blue Ribbon... And the Blue Ribbon Committee is meeting again this Sunday, so I'm going to share okay. with them uh, perfect. this... Can you can you have all that information ready for you to talk about at your Blue Ribbon Committee on Sunday? Can you guys have that together? Just compile, just send me the VMU and the We can certainly bonus. pull the pieces together for yeah. you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that we'll have a lot of analysis behind it, but we can certainly give you the, the pieces. Uh, sure. And I'm, I'm comfortable if you have all that information at the Blue Ribbon Housing, and then that comes, then it doesn't have to come back to us. I don't think. I agree. Let's, and let's bring it to council on the 30th with every, with, uh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and if you look at the... A lot know. of the work is done. I like Mill Valley's policy very much. I think it's um, not too extreme. Um, I, I, I like the $100,000 threshold. Um, I think 
I definitely think we have to, I think what's missing is how this is woven, will weave in with our existing policies. Yeah, my, not, not having all the other information before me, um, you know, I always look at things for Sausalito through the lens of, you know, how small we are, how limited our geography is, and whether or not some proposed program is redundant, and do we actually need it? And is, it that, is that concern already addressed through what we already have? So that, that would be probably my questions um, when it comes back to city council and when I have all the information before me. So, yeah, great. Does that give you what you need? It does. I'm just looking at your actual objective from the housing element, which is within the first four years of the planning period, we'll conduct an inclusionary housing nexus and in lieu fee study. So we should try and get some information for you at the council level about what that entails and how much that would cost, because often they're not um, inexpensive. So must we, so in order to adopt an inclusionary ordinance, must we have a fee study? Well, I mean, I think you could adopt the inclusionary and then have the council set the fees by resolution. But yes. the way your objective is drafted, it's, you know, consider this, um, and to conduct this within the first four years of the planning period. So we'll yeah. work to get you that information on what that would entail. Okay. Have we already had any studies that would comply with that? No. No? Okay. Again, because, well. so I'll just say this straight out. The, uh, the General Plan Advisory Committee is considering, you know, um, all of Sausalito's development potential. So this goes hand in hand with that. There's not, there are not many sites in Sausalito that could hold four units or more, but there are some, and there is one currently under, and so why not um, include that in this policy? That's why I wanna get yeah, moving we need, on it. We, of course, wanna make sure that we're meeting the objective that we set out to in the housing yeah. element so we can report that in our next go round. Or else look at a modification of yeah. the housing element. So let's figure out how cost prohibitive it is. And then with respect to future agenda items for this committee, and we don't uh, have anything queued up at the moment. There's always something that comes along though. We sent something to you yesterday. Let's see. We do have the sidewalk issue with the bill that was signed by the governor uh, exactly. mid-September. That we, we need to bring back. That would be helpful to bring that first here. Yes. Um, and then if you have known dates when you're available, that would be great as well in the next couple of weeks maybe. I've got my calendar. If we do it in the next couple of weeks and you need more from us on anything that we've asked you to bring to us on the 30th, you could add that. So. Well, it's easier for me because I'm in town on typically on council days. Oh yeah. Um, I could also do it Thursday, the eleventh. I will be on a plane flying to New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> I could do you know. Um, yeah. Actually, Tuesday is not great, could because but I could do it. 
Wednesday the 10th. Are you? Yes, I'm Wednesday the 10th. Wednesday the 10th. Nine o'clock. Yeah. Can we do it at ten? I have a meeting in San Francisco. Okay. A breakfast meeting. Okay. Great. So Wednesday, the tenth at ten. Great. Ten ten eighteen at ten. Thank you. All right. I just want to jump in real quick. Um, the presentation to the council from host uh, compliance. I just got an email from Ulrich because I emailed him asking if he could um, make himself available for a presentation like he did today. He is going to be on a plane from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. and then again from 10.30 to 11.30. So he is available between <laughs> 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. Okay. for Thanks. his presentation. So if we can. That's fine, just you know, make, that work. make that work on the agenda, yeah. then we can have him and present. And just put a note in a, at the beginning that uh, put, put a specially set Mm -hmm. Put a specially set mm -hmm. report for host compliance. Mm -hmm. So whatever we're doing, we'll stop if we're not already there, and and do him at nine o'clock. You want to try and take that item up a few minutes before then, just so that you can have a little discussion and introduction to it, or do you want to just dive right in with host compliance? Just the vice mayor and I already figured out the agenda for okay. the. Um, so I don't. We figured out the order because uh -huh. we we have special presentations and such. So. Hope, I think we'll be ST, fluid. <laughs> I think we have the M group here, mm -hmm. and right. so the M group is first on the agenda. Great. But we have a special presentation, so I don't know if we'll be done with the M group by nine. Okay. So okay. maybe I think it's self-explanatory. We'll be fluid. People yep. will have read their packets. I think his presentation is self-explanatory. I think it's a standalone thing. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're adjourned at 1027 a.m. Oh, yeah.